1: We do have some mailbag questions, Ryan, and, and Sean S. got this super chat up before before the beginning. So, Sean, you have to apologize for giving us a super chat, man. You gave the super chat before we said anything, so you are all good, man. He, he did apologize for this, but w- we appreciate you. Uh, Sean's question, Ryan, is if Jadarian Price is back to 100% or close to it, what are your expectations for him in 2023?
2: I mean, I expect him to compete to be that third volume getter in the backfield. I mean, because I think when you look at – you feel really good about where you are with Logan Diggs and i May. those guys ended the season at a very high tick and they were the they were the volume getters down the stretch and then there's Chris Tyree who I think is going to be utilized hopefully in a much better manner in 2023 compared to what he was in 2022 but there is room to mix and match those styles a little bit because one thing that Jadarian Price brings to the table is he's is an explosive kid he's got ability as a home run hitter But he also has that versatility aspect to him where like you could play a little bit of, you know, you could do some stuff in space. You can catch the football a little bit out of the backfield. You can do a lot of variable things that I think that Chris Kyrie can do, but it's just, you know, they're a little bit of a different package as far as a size profile. So if Jadarian Price is fully healthy and ready to go, I expect him to compete heavy for some, some, um, some touches in that backfield to potentially be that third volume getter. I think that he has that type of upside and, you know, he brings a different dynamic that you need more of in that backfield,
1: in my opinion. I like to refer to him as an every down home run hitter, right? Like that's how I would describe Jadarian Price. So, yeah, I, I, we're, we're, we're on board. See, close to 100%? Not yet, no. And Achilles injury is almost a year, a year thing now, Ryan. I mean, it, yeah. it's close to that now. So uh, I've seen in some of the workout videos he's usually just standing around the back, so I don't think he's like in full participation. I do know he's moving around, he's running and stuff, but I don't think he's hundred percent cleared right now. And I think I don't, I, I doubt that we see a lot of him this spring. I could be wrong. That's, that is not giving you Intel. That's not giving you a medical diet. That's just me, my opinion based on what I know of Achilles injuries in the time frame. I personally just Brian Driscoll's opinion would be, would be a little surprised if he was going full. I think expect to go through some drills, but like, I don't expect to see him team. I don't expect to see him really in seven on seven. I don't expect to see him a, a, in a whole lot of things other than just drills right at this point in time, did, did, did he hurt himself late in spring or was it in fall last year that he hurt? it himself? was in the summer it was, in the it summer. was like gotcha. yeah it was like june july-ish gotcha. so like in between the two yeah he never made it to fall camp but he made it through the whole because remember he had that long touchdown in the spring game yes in that 50-yard touchdown pass in the spring game so it was it was like june or july i actually can look it up while we're talking ryan but yeah it was it was june or july
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: What's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
1: And then we had another a super sticker da- down here from, uh, let me find it here. We had one from... Where is it from Aaron Schmidt? Aaron, thank you very, very much. We appreciate that. And then we did have another super chat from, uh, ERO 5.20 says, Oh no, I'm sorry. It was from Brian Pinocchio. I know the O-line hire will be Parker and Freemans, but do you think they will want to want to wait till Gino is a Notre Dame official for his input as, as well? I'll answer this one, Ryan. Gino doesn't need to be officially hired at Notre Dame to have input on an offensive line hire. Yeah, He, he doesn't. Uh, they'll be able to communicate with him. It's not like a recruiting thing where like you can't have a phone call with them or something like that. So uh, if Gino, if, if coach Cadulli has has accepted the job and they're just going through the background checks or whatever, he's accepted the terms to his contract. It's just about getting through the background check, which is just, that's who, how Notre Dame is. Uh, he's going to have input on things. There, there's no doubt about it. So uh, will he have some input? I mean, I'd I'd want to hear input from all the coaches. Yes. Hey, do you guys know the guy? Do you know? Here's what I'm asking every assistant coach. If I have a guy that I'm bringing in for an interview, I will have already asked all of my assistants, Coach McCullough, Coach Stuckey, uh, Coach Parker, Coach Gaduli, do you know him? Question number one If you did, what are your thoughts? Number two is Do you know anyone that you respect who's worked with him? Call them, get their opinion. Those are the two things I'm asking these guys to do. And, and I'll take their input. Will, will it be a decision maker for me, a, a deal breaker for me? It depends on how bad the story is, but in most instances, no. It's just part of the evaluation process for me. So that's uh that's how that one works uh, there. All right, next question. John A1 says, who is the O-line coach candidate who projects to be the best to continue the the tradition of being O-line U? We addressed this a little bit during the show, Ryan. There's not one, but I'll say you need to get a guy that does this but I don't think there's just one guy to me sure. that projects to be that guy in my opinion.
2: yep, I agree. I think that there's I mean again, there was there's a few people that we've kind of seen just kind of mentioned and in, in you know closer circles that I would be very excited about. I mean, I think that the the intangible part of them as coaches does need to be similar to your to your you know to your points you need to have a guy that believes in technical refinement. You need to be a guy that believes in the physicality of the position and to really mirror what you don't have to teach it exactly like what coach he did, but you have to believe in the same, the same philosophy, right? The same, the same ideals and what you let in the offensive line. Cause I think that is something that the offensive staff and the staff in general is going to be something that's consistent and something that they believe in. So you need those ideals in them, but, I mean, again, there's going to be a lot of names thrown out there, and and I mean, we'll get into those names as they come out and they surface, but I don't think that's one guy. I think it's just more do they fit this profile, and are they a good enough coach and a good enough recruiter to continue to develop what has been a tradition at Notre Dame to be one of the better offensive lines of college football.
1: Right, and some of the guys will be sexy, and some of the guys won't. And I think a lot – and what is that determined by, Ryan? Where he came from. And there's going to be, hey, this guy came from this really good school. He must be the best. Maybe he is. But there's other guys, like, here's a name that's out there, so we'll put this out there. It's like Brian Callahan from Minnesota. I don't know if their name is looking at him, but, like, he probably wouldn't be a super sexy hire unless people are just the football junkies. But then yeah. you look at what he's done with the offensive line in Minnesota, and you're like, that's pretty – he's done pretty good with the talent he has had.
2: All right? the Callahans,
1: man. All the Callahans. Right. And yeah. so you have to look at that more so than the, the the name. Now, sometimes it can be both. It can be a flashy hire that is also a really darn good coach. That would be the ideal for me. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is get a guy that can coach this group to a very, very high level. That's that's the, That's the key. Next question here, Ryan, is this one right here, uh, from jo- also from John A1. We'll get two from John A1 and then roll to the next. The talent of the defensive roster is young, and it is a fresh start for the defensive staff. Which defensive assistant makes the biggest jump in production with their group? That's a good question. That is a good
2: question. I mean, I think it comes down to biggest jump. I mean, my mind went right to which one of the owls is the guy that takes their position to the next level, right? I mean I- – it would be. I mean, I, I guess I always lean towards the defensive line because I think that look, the linebackers have to get better, right? Like it was just not great last year. Like but I think, I think just by law of you know law of law of uh, averages, like the linebackers have to get a little bit better. But the defensive line was one of like the bigger disappointments for me in twenty twenty two. It Was like was it a bad unit? No. Was it a great unit? Also no. Like it was solid to good at times, right? But I think that that spot is – I think that I have more optimism to what the defensive line could be than what just some general Notre Dame fans do out there from the conversations I've seen. But if you take that defensive line and you get the best out of guys like Jordan Botelho and Joshua Burnham and, and you know some of the def- interior defensive linemen, Gabriel Rubio, Howard Cross using it in a, in a specific role, Riley Mills. Like If you get the best out of that group and you turn them into a really good unit – I think that then you're talking about like, man, if you have that type of pass rusher and that type of that type of potential to create havoc in the backfield on top of having the secondary that Notre Dame should have in 2023, then you're cooking with Greece, in my opinion. So I guess I would say Al Washington by default. Like that's a guy that, you know, you have talent to work with. There's some question marks, but can you get the most out of that defensive line room in 2023? Because there's a lot of questions to answer.
1: From a pure production standpoint, I, I I hope it's linebacker because they just the production they had last year was more so from tackles for loss and things like that. That was not an overly productive group because I don't really care about production from a tackle standpoint, Ryan. I care about impact production, right? And that's the big thing for me, and that needs to make a big jump. But uh, to your point, if one of the two front seven groups makes a big jump, um, that's great. If if the pass defense doesn't improve a lick next year. But the front seven takes a big jump. Notre Dame's defense will take a big jump because the pass defense was still pretty good last year. You know, for all the flack people give about the safeties and this guy's this and the safety play last year was pretty solid all year. It really was. You had a game here, game there, play here, play there. But overall, it was pretty solid. And the cornerback play was excellent after the Ohio State game. I mean, they didn't really start getting beat against North Carolina until the game was out of out of question. I mean, it, the game was basically over when North Carolina hit a couple of big plays. So it's the front seven big time. No. Here's the last one, right? This is about from John A1. Preston's, does Preston Center have the talent to play tight end in their name? If so, what would his floor ceiling grade be on offense? So let's say he we found out he was going to flip, Ryan, uh, for that second part. where would he? Where would his grade be for that position? I mean, John, I think the first and
2: foremost is does he have the talent to play that spot? I actually think he does, to yeah. be honest. I mean, he's a really good tight end in high school, man. I mean he I mean, he's a kid that's six three, maybe some change there. He's got good length of position. I think he's got a body where if he's playing tight end rather than a linebacker role or even if, if eventually he's playing viper he could hold 240 like 245 somewhere in that ballpark he can have a Kane barong type of physical profile he'd be more of an h-back than a true inline style tight end but i mean at the end of the day i i don't know what the upside would be. i'm trying to work through my minds here because again I, I think that he definitely has the traits to play it i think that for me he could has the he has the ability at tight end to be a good part of a tight end room right like i don't think he's ever going to be like that true inline tight end that's your number one but as a complementary piece in a passing game i think that he could be that type of guy i really do i mean he has he's got skills man he looks good with the ball yeah. in his hands
1: he really does formationally and in and, and route concepts wise a lot of the stuff that georgia does with with uh Oh uh, goodness gracious! I'm Brock, Bowers. A Brock, Bowers, Brock Bowers to me yeah. is is how you'd use him. Now look, he's not as good as Brock Bowers because he's not as sure. a- athletic and explosive. But I'm saying how they use him from a formational standpoint and the specific route concepts they use him. That's how I like. I think I would use a guy like Preston Center. So just hear what I'm saying. Not saying he's as good as Brock Bowers because if he was, I'd say move him tight end right now. Yeah. I'm simply as far as usage type. That's because Brock Bowers doesn't do a lot of in, in line blocking, right? He's a he he'll block on the wing, he'll block on the edge, he'll he'll kind of go back. That's a lot of stock stock blocking, a lot yeah, of stock blocking. Yeah, yeah, and and I think Preston could be a better blocker as a you know run getting to the backside on split zone things like that. Uh, motioning and then getting him in some position to kind of hook, you know, to kind of reach an edge on some outside zone. Those are all things I think you could use him to do. And then of course downfield blocking, but route pass game wise, a lot of the things that Georgia does with, with uh you know from the, the intermediate game formationally and pass game wise are things that I think you, if you want to know what type of player could be, it's that type of role. He just wouldn't be as impactful at it as him. But yes, he could be a a number two, maybe even a starting tight end down the road for Notre Dame, in my opinion he just wouldn't be quite as impactful at it as he as i think he could be a linebacker in my opinion this is a comment from connor O'Doherty, ryan he says also super excited about parker hopefully he can run an offense that could score 35 to 40 points against the elite teams i mean against elite teams if you're scoring 35 to 40 that's pretty flipping good i think that nice. the key is you got to get into the 30s though in most instances right but it doesn't always require that like look you needed to score 38 plus to beat usc last year you only needed 23 to beat ohio state right? You only needed 24 to beat Georgia in, in 2019. You only needed 21 to beat Georgia in 2017. It's just, you got to score enough to beat those teams. That's the key Connor. And, and sometimes that's going to, you needed 31 to beat Clemson in 2018, right? You needed a little bit more to beat them in the ACC title game two year you know, two years later, you needed to get closer to 40 the way that that game went out. So it it varies, but the point is you've got to be able to step up and play your part in those big games. And Notre Dame, I mean, what you got? You got 14 points in the title game and 12, and seven of those came late. You scored 17. You scored 19 points against Georgia in 2017. You scored eight against Miami that year in 2017. In 2018, you scored was it three points against Clemson in in the playoff game. In 2019, you scored 17 points on the road against Georgia. You scored 14 against Michigan in that loss. In 2020, you scored 14 – oh, I'm – uh, yeah, f- was it 14 or 10 against Clemson in the ACC title game? I'm drawing, a bl- I'm drawing blanks today, Ryan, on some of these these minor details. I don't know if I – maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night like I thought I did. I was 10. Yeah, they scored 10 against them, uh, against Clemson. Then only 14 against Bama in, in that next game. And then this year they scored 10 against Ohio State in that loss so in most games they haven't done enough offensively now this year they played much better against Clemson this year now, I had help from the defense and special teams not going to take away from that but I think Notre Dame scores 24 to 27 points against Clemson if they don't have those things I think they probably would have punched another touchdown or maybe a couple field goals into the end zone if they didn't have the lost possessions from the block punt in it because Clemson could not stop Notre Dame's run game just couldn't yeah you know, so uh, they haven't even come close to being good enough on offense in those games. So yeah, they're a long way away from that, from what they've been. And but that's the key. That's where that's where this offense got to get to, right? I don't care if you score sixty on Tennessee State next year. How much are you going to score this year? Like twenty three. How much are you going to score against Ohio State? How much are you going to score at NC State? How much are you going to score against USC and Clemson? That matters a whole lot to me than what your average is because you could like in twenty nineteen perfect example, Ryan. They averaged thirty six points a game in the regular season, almost thirty seven. But they scored 17 on the road against Georgia and 14 against Michigan. Why was their stat so good? Because they scored 66 against New Mexico, scored 52 against Bowling Green, 52 against Navy, 45 against Stanford, 40 against Boston College, 38 against Duke. Teams, that sucked. You know, but they averaged 15 and a half points in their two losses. So I don't care that you rack up your point total against teams that suck. You got to be able to score points against the good teams. That's what matters for Notre Dame. Well, I'm tired of the
2: offense being the what if, you know? Like, oh, what if – if that offense could just do that, then maybe Notre Dame could win a national championship. Maybe they could have beaten this team, that team. And at the end of the day, man, like I just – I don't want there to be excuses anymore, you know? Like I feel like the offense was always an excuse for the last few years. It's like, oh, the offense just isn't good enough. It's what if, what if, what if. At the end of the day, man, this offense needs to catch up to what Notre Dame has had defensively pretty consistently throughout the years, you know? I mean, there's – no, it's not, it hasn't been perfect every year, but for the most part, the defense has been up to caliber. It's been up to being in the ballpark with those elite teams. It's the offense that has fallen short. And, right. I mean, that is the challenge that's in front of Coach Parker and this offensive staff, man, is that in those biggest contests, and to Connor's point here, you need to step up to the table and you need to be the reason that they win, not the reason that you don't win the football game. So that's that's what's in front of them, man, because, again, we can harp on – what they look at look like against Navy or when they look against one of these lower teams, at the end of the day, when you get into those big games with those environments where it's just, you know, it's, it's not advantageous to being successful. That's when you really need to play your best football and you need to fight adversity. And I think that's what uh, offense has struggled with over the last few years. It's like when that adversity hits, like I just feel like they just kind of give into it. Right. And then they aren't able to counter back and they're not able to punch a little bit. And, in 2023, you have a good quarterback. Like, that's not a, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be an excuse anymore. You have a, a, a pretty veteran laden offensive line. You have a talented group of receivers. You have some really good running backs. There's no excuse to go out against an Ohio State and lay a goose egg offensively this year. There's, there just isn't. There just really is not. Cause even if you lose, God forbid, even if Sam Hartman gets banged up for a couple games, having Tyler Buckner come in, I mean, like,
0: dude.
2: I mean, that's just where we are. No man. excuses.
1: No, no excuses. excuses. You None. nailed it, Ryan. No excuses. It really is as simple as that. You have no excuses anymore.
2: None.
1: All right. Connor O'Doherty also says, so excited for the running back room this year. Do you think guys that couldn't, that, that think that do you guys think that Notre Dame could legitimately play five backs, estimate Digs, Tyree, Price, and Love? I'll I, I give my I, quick answer, Ryan. Yeah. Not on a consistent basis, no. That's too many backs. I think if you're going to play all five of those guys, you have to find other roles for them. Make Jeremiah Love your punt returner. Make Jeremiah Love your kick returner. Find other ways to get them touches. And then, you know, maybe work them into a package here and there. But I'm getting those guys in the game in the third quarter if I'm up big. If I'm up 35-3 on the team in the late in the third quarter, I'm giving Jeremiah or, you know, Jay, um, Jadarian snaps with the ones for a series or two. And I'm taking some of the pounding off of off of uh, Aud- Audrick and, and Logan flat out. But it's hard, Ryan, in a normal rotation to get five. It's hard to get four. It, it's not easy to get three backs involved. It's really hard to get four, and it's almost impossible to get five unless you're just killing everybody at 50, 40, 50 points. That's the only way you can really get a five-guys play every week.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was going to say basically the same thing, is that if you're going to get that many guys, you're going to have to figure out ways to implement them in the football game, and that could be special teams. That could be specialized role. It could be a game where – You know, like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of a load management on Aldrick against this team, right? Because you maybe don't need him as much. So then you're – He doesn't need 20 carries against Tennessee State. Exactly. 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 So Tennessee State, maybe Jeremiah Love gets five to six carries. Maybe January Price carries the load in the second half, whatever it might be, right? Like you you need to pick and find your spots with them. But, again, Connor, I think it comes down to, like, when you're saying, you know, could you get five, you could legitimately play five backs? Yes, if it's in the right type of circumstance, right? Like if you're playing three backs and maybe sprinkling in a fourth occasionally, but then one of the running backs is your main punt and kick returner. You played five backs. It might not be as a running back, but you did play five. And I think I think I really do think at the end of the day, Jeremiah Love is the type of kid that you need to get on the field in some capacity. Like again, he's not going to be the main ball carrier this year. He's not going to get a ton of snaps. At running back, barring some injuries, most likely, but that kid is too dynamic to knock it on the field in some capacity. So, whether that is as a kick returner, make it happen because I just don't see him personally as a five year guy. I just don't see it. So,
0: yeah,
1: red shirting is not going to do much with Jeremiah Love, in my opinion. Agree. And then the other thing is save the red shirt if he gets injured. Like that, that's my thing. Yeah, you nailed that, Ryan. Estimate Trucking LLC asks, in your opinion, who was the better prospect coming out of high school, Elijah Shoemate, Adon Schuller, or DJ Brown, and then rate them one to three. I I didn't see Elijah or DJ out of high school, so yeah. I'll answer this one then. If we're going to go on current grade, it's Adon, Elijah, and then DJ is a distant third. I had Elijah as a four-star player. I liked Elijah coming out. Elijah was more of an upside guy, though. He was still kind of raw. He was an alley player, honestly. In today's and if if Elijah's shoemate played another game today, I think he'd probably be more of a rover than he was a safety. He was a thumper. He was a downhill thumper. So I'd have him number two. I think a Don is a has a little bit more versatility to his game. A, a, Elijah was a down, Elijah couldn't cover, and that was the big knock on him. And you saw that in the Alabama game, and they just that was the the. You had two game plans. One is we got to figure out a way to establish a run game, and we're going to attack twenty-two on defense with our our tight ends and backs. That's what they did, and and it worked. So it would be a Don Elijah and DJ, no question, no question. Yeah. Well, so your top two guys are both
2: New Jersey guys, huh? That's
1: yeah, happening. which I figured you'd like that. Figured you'd like <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, Coleman Smith. Do you both? Do both of you think Notre Dame will ever finish number one in the recruiting rankings based on points? since there's an obvious bias. It's going to be
2: hard. I mean, it really is going to be hard, just mostly because, and we've talked about this, there's layers to this conversation, right? Like there's big layers. Is that one of the biggest hurdles to getting that number one recruiting class is that we know that there is a bias against Notre Dame commits, right? So the minute a guy comes to the class, usually they either say stagnant on a recruiting ranking perspective, or they take a dip. That's just kind of the trend that happens. So I mean early on in 2023 and 2024, even like at some points you're like, oh man, if they they continue this trend and you know they they get a couple of those big guys on the board, like they might be in a good spot. But like at the end of the day, you knew you know that CJ Carr is gonna dip in the rankings. Like you know it's gonna happen, sure. man. Like it's a foregone conclusion. He's a five-star. I think most people consider him a five-star level player. But at the end of the day, he's probably not going to be rated as a five-star when it's all said and done just because him being committed to Notre Dame for so long. So I think that bias is going to prevent it a little bit. I mean, and ultimately, you know, there's going to be some teams that, you know, like the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world that can offer other things. (laughs) And at the end of the process, they're going to be able to pull in the the five-star
0: players.
1: And that was true before NIL. The other thing too, Ryan, for me is when I, when I, when I look at this as well, I think it's, it's not even the noted, the the anti Notre Dame bias that we've discussed that is even the concern for me. It's more so the regional bias that from, in most instances, you're going to see a much bigger, here's an example. And I've talked about this. I'm going to probably do an article about it at some point in time. I just, I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get to it, but the number of kids from Florida and Texas that are in the top 300s of these services is significantly greater than the number of kids from those states that get drafted and that become all pros because yes, the best players come from those states. They do. But the discrepancy of how many get ranked there compared to actually how many pan out is higher. And you see kids from states that nobody follows that get drafted because recruiting services aren't, don't go there. They don't do what Tom Lemming does, which is literally spend like six months on the road getting out to see every single kid he possibly can. They don't do that anymore. It's like, oh, this camp or that camp or whatever. And so that's that's also factors into it, Ryan, for me is is that is that uh that regional bias that is also built in hurts them as well. Could even if Notre Dame is winning national championships, I don't think we're gonna see them finish with the number one class. I don't. I think they can get close though. I I do. I I think they could get close. And, you know, you you look at, you know, you look at this past year. uh, If they would have got the guys that that we think they could have got, you know, I I look at it and like I'm trying to I'm actually trying to go in now and and figure this out. But like if they would have got Keon and Peyton Bowen and Dante and then not got Kenny Minchie, you know, their grades at 298.59, that would have ranked them let me see here let's go 23 rankings this is on 247 that would have ranked them fourth like are you really going to tell me that texas's class would have been better than notre dame's if they'd have got keon payton and dante moore no way i would say that bam is the only one even in the conversation in my opinion being better than notre Dame, if they got those three but why is that the case because uh too many southern kids get ranked too high now again Am I saying the best players aren't by percentage in the south? They are. There's no disputing that. But instead of like, let's say 40% or 60% of your players in the rankings being from the south, you've got 70-75. That's my that's my point. And I'm not saying those are specific numbers. I'm just giving you numbers for an example. Is there's too many of those kids in the rankings, which is going to do what? It's going to boost the rankings of the southern schools. Right? And so that's kind of where I'm coming from on this one. All right. Uh, Coleman Smith with a a question here, Ryan, another one. He says, how does an offensive coordinator find time to coach their position in practice since they have time to spend installing game plan and and looking at the offense as a whole? I mean, this is an easy one. You you have individual periods and even when you're coaching the entire offense, you're still watching your players and you're still going to have individual meetings with your players. There's, there's like, there's team meetings where unit meetings where the offense as a whole meets, and then there's individual position meetings, and in those individual position meetings, you're still going to meet with your tight ends. So it's 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 no different than how does the quarterbacks coach coach quarterbacks, or how does in college football coordinators coach their position. I mean, it's and there's a lot of individual time geared towards those reps where you don't have to float. You can coach a position during that time.
2: And the game planning stuff is done, you know, with the other coaches in between practices or right. during the weekend or, you know, Sundays or Monday afternoons, whatever it might be. Like they find time for when the game planning is if, revolved around the rest of the team activities. I think you said it perfectly for the practices, like practices is not just them going team team, you know, going team the whole practice, right. There are individual opportunities or group opportunities or inside run outside run seven on seven. Like there's also some opportunities in practice where you have joint opportunities between position groups that help a lot too, to ease some of the stress of like, you know, coaching one position all the time. So yeah, there's a way to work around it, especially with the practice structures.
1: Yep. Next question is from Anthony Manzano, who says he is a Notre Dame and a Miami Hurricane fan. I don't know how that's possible. He says, <laughs> What are your predictions for Sam Hartman this year in terms of his production? So,
2: an interesting question. For me, I
1: mean, I've said minimum 3,500 yards passing. I'd say closer to like 37 is what I think we could see from him. Uh, 30 plus touchdowns is where I'm like, he's not going to throw for 4,200 yards like he did in 2021. Notre Dame's offense isn't geared towards that because they're going to run a lot more effectively. Uh, could he get to 40 touchdown passes? Maybe, but I don't, you know, I, I don't think he's going to have the production at Notre Dame that he had at, at, at uh, Wake Forest, Ryan, from a yards and touchdown standpoint. But I think what you're going to see from him is, is, is a much better overall play and greater efficiency. You know, so you're talking about a guy that completed 63% of his passes this past year. He was at 59 the year before that. I expect him to be 65-plus. You know, I think he could come close to this year's production, Ryan. But in the additional games, he was 3,700 yards passing this year, and he had 38 touchdowns. He had 39 total touchdowns last year. He had 51. He had 50 total touchdowns. This year, he was at 30, 37, uh, so a little over 3,800 yards of total offense and 39 touchdowns. But that was only 12 games. I could easily see him doing that in in the regular season this this year as well. I mean, I think that's close. He's not going to produce like he did the year before, in my opinion. But cut down on the interceptions, up the completion percentage, and a little bit higher yards per attempt is what I think we'll see from him as opposed to jumps and yards and touchdowns.
2: What's the Notre Dame touchdown pass record in the season is it Brady with like 32 right something like no that. no
1: he threw 32 in 2005 but he threw mm-hmm. um he threw I think 37 I'm looking at it right now I think was, he threw, oh yeah like, like oh yeah yeah I think you're right think he threw right. more in 2006 than he threw in 2005 he threw yeah. 37 in 2006 32 in 2005 yeah so yeah and then Ian book threw 34 in 2019. Yep. I think it's like 19 of them were in like four games. It's like New Mexico, Bowling Green, Navy, Duke, and Stan- five games in Stanford. He had a, hey man, they all, they, all they all count. They all count. Man. But I care yep. more about what you do in the big games. He's, he's, the, he's the most winning quarterback
2: in Notre Dame history as
1: well. You're just so. trying to but, piss me off today. I see what you're <laughs> trying to do. I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> I just Those see it on tw- Twitter all the time. So mm-hmm. you know, Exactly. The most exactly.
2: winning quarterback in Notre Dame history. is playing in The, Super
1: the Bowl. Eagles would have played Ian Book instead of Jalen Hurts, man. That's all Ian does. They would have won, man. Yeah, they would have won. Yeah. Bailey Brad with a question. Is there interest from Freeman and Parker to bring in a great recruiter on the O-line, or are they more focused on other attributes? Ryan, I think we discussed this earlier the recruiting aspect is important, but it's, to me, it's bottom of the list of the important things for me. Because O-line, more than any other position, what you produce is more important than what you do on the recruiting trail as far as the work. If you, they got to have a relationship with you, but if you are putting, I mean, Harry Heastan does not grind the way that other O-line coaches do. Why is he so successful? He has a plan. He's honest. He finds kids he likes, but it's like, What's your recruiting pitch? I'm unrolling like a scroll, right, of all the guys <laughs> he's had drafted in the first round in the last decade. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, my recruiting pitch. That yes. matters to me at every position, but I think it's even more important on from an offensive line standpoint because you don't have to be a great recruiter as a receivers coach if your offensive coordinator is putting up monster numbers with his offense, Right. right. O line, it's more about what have you done in producing big time offensive lines and linemen. I think it's more as more, as important as any position in my opinion, if not more so, other than yeah. maybe quarterback. Well, the good thing is that the pitch still stays the same, right? It, it, it's not it's not
2: from a one to one as far as Harry Easton could say. I coached all these guys, but I mean the new offensive line coach is going to be like, this is what Notre Dame produces at the offensive line position. Like that doesn't go away. Like that is historically ingrained in this program. So I, I think that. I don't think I don't think recruit and look I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back a little bit to what I was about to say because it it, I was gonna be way too hyperbolic with it. You have to be a good recruiter at offensive line as a head coach at Notre Dame, but it's not the hardest position to recruit at Notre Dame. Let's put it like that, right? I mean, offensive linemen are attracted to Notre Dame. I mean, I've talked to several in 2024 that like. The minute Notre Dame offered, it's like, wow, that's Notre Dame, man. Like, it's Notre Dame, right? I'm an offensive lineman and Notre Dame just offered me. Like, that's wild. I mean, I talked to Caleb. I remember when I talked to Caleb Brewer, he's like, that was like, whoa, man. Like, you want me? Like, I'm an offensive lineman, good enough to play at Notre Dame. That's wild, right? So, yeah, I think developer technical side of things, those things are definitely more important, but you can't be a bad recruiter,
1: obviously. Right. right. So that's, yeah. Right. That's what we said. It's an important characteristic, but it's the bottom of the important characteristics for me. It's fair. It's fair. Next question is from Archer452. Uh, the early win total line for Notre Dame is set at nine. Are you taking the over or the under? It's nine flat. It's not like nine and a half or anything. It's just nine. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it, but I'm going to give uh, Archer the benefit of the doubt and say that that is true. I definitely not taking the under. I would either uh, – right now I would take the over or push. Those are the two things I would do. But I'm definitely not taking I, I, I the over. Would, I would
2: take the over in that one. Yeah. Curious, man. They, they don't usually make over-unders like flat on the number like that. Usually it's like something and a half. You know what I mean? So yeah. interesting. Yeah, but, yeah, sure. I would still go over. I would still go over.
1: ERO5.20 says, I'm assuming this has been asked before, but what do you make of the new O-line offers on the O-line? Was there a reason these players didn't get to already have offers? Yeah, the reason was simple. Harry Heestand didn't like him as much. Yes. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Yep. Right? And, and I, I, e- Yeah. Now, I
2: was just going to say I have a article that's going to kind of talk about that a little bit. I mean, again, like you're talking about guys like Andrew Sprague, guys like Brandon Baker out in modern day in California. Like those are guys that obviously there were some people on the staff that did like those players and maybe that Coachy Stan just didn't like them nearly as much as some people on the on the staff did. So, I mean, that's where it comes yeah. down to. And I do think that there's going to be and, and this is also obviously going to depend on who the offensive line coach is but i do think there could be a little bit of a there could be a different kind of look to how offensive line recruiting is it works here moving forward because one thing about coach Stan was a good recruiter but he was incredibly particular and he kept very small boards do you start expanding that a little bit do you start offering more players casting a slightly higher wider nets you know I, I mean i i think that it was and this is just my opinion I think it was a mistake that Brandon Baker and Andrew Sprague were not offered by Notre Dame yet. I think that was a mistake. That's just my opinion. I think it was a mistake.
1: It's, we love Coach Eastan. He was great at what he did, but he's not infallible. Oh. I mean, just, it's not infallible. I mean, I mean And, and we, I'll say this, the fact that he left after one year, base, and, and this isn't a criticism of Coach Eastan. the fact that he was basically going to leave when Tommy left, Tells me he didn't have the same level of an investment in, in bringing these kids in as he did in the past. Now the class was still very good, but you and I have talked before and like, man, they're not throwing a lot of offers out. We understood why to a degree because it's not a great online class, but there were some guys you're that's like, true. why doesn't this kid have an offer already? You know
2: what I mean? Especially Sprague, yeah. that's right there in Missouri. Mm-hmm. It's just like that would be a kid that like, even if you don't
1: end up taking them, like I get uh, Baker at Modern Day, like dude, what are the odds you get a kid from? Modern yeah, exactly. Day? Like, exactly. Like, like yeah. I get that one. I'm cool with that yeah. one, but like. Yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't understand that one. I understood it's, Ian Moore it, not having an offer. I, I'm I'm okay with that, and 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 I'm still okay with that. I, I I don't love Ian Moore as a player. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But he's a guard, and they need to focus on bringing in more tackles because they've signed a lot of guards in the last couple. You could make a case that in the last two classes, Ryan, four of the five signees in both of the last two years' classes were better suited playing inside than a tackle. You could make that yeah, case. You could, yeah.
2: Yeah, there was just a couple of head scratchers. I'm just like, why did it take that kid so long to get offered, right? Like Andrew Sprague. Grant Bricks was a guy that was offered while Coach Easton was still there, but he was another kid that's like, he's right in Iowa. Why was he not a kid that was offered? And he had a really nice offer list already before Notre Dame offered. Just, yeah, there's just a – maybe a little bit of a wider net might be a different kind of ideology to how offensive line recruiting happened. But we'll see. We'll see who the next offensive line coach is, obviously.
1: Yep, next question is from Patrick Bird. Do you see Parker coaching from the booth or field? My guess would be, Ryan, he'll be on the field, especially since you have a quarterback's coach. Normally the way it works in a situation like this is you'll have the OC and the quarterback's coach up in the booth, or the the OC will be down on the field if he's a field guy, and then the OC is kind of your eyes in the sky. That would be my prediction. I don't know for a fact, but that would be my prediction, that he'll be on the field and he'll have – Gino, Coach Gaduli, and probably uh, maybe one other assistant up in the up in the booth with the GAs. That would be I I, de- I definitely want Gino up top
2: because I mean, him is obviously specializing in the passing game side of things. Like that's the vantage point I want him to see. Right? Like right. no, no doubt about. I don't know 100% where Parker's going to be, but one thing I know is that I need Gino up top. I need him up top. Right.
1: Clay Murphy says, where would you rank Harry uh, among Notre Dame's all-time O-line coaches? I can only rank guys that I've seen or guys that I knew about in my lifetime, and he's probably number two behind Joe Moore, probably for yeah. me. Look, it's simple. Joe has a ring, and Coach Harry, Coach Easton doesn't. I mean, you know, that's – now, I think Harry was a much better recruiter. Joe Moore did no recruiting at Notre Dame. Vinny did all his recruiting, none. and And I think that hurt Notre Dame – at times as well, right? Because you're getting guys that Vinny wants, not necessarily guys that the O line coach wanted. And and I think that was it. So I mean, that's to me where you could maybe make a case of Coach Eastan with number one. But I mean, the, the trophy's named after Joe Moore. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> it's
0: it's a know. pretty good
2: indicator of how good he was, right? Yeah, and like, they have
1: and they have a national title. So I mean that's what gives them the edge. But if somebody wanted to make a case for Coach Eastan, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with him too harshly
2: nah i mean he's he's tremendous man i mean what he did in notre dame is it speaks for itself but at the end of the day man it's 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 like brian it's like arguing against you know all-time great coaches it's like you
1: know vince Lombardi has a trophy named after him that's a pretty important
0: right. trophy you he's know pretty like, good. Yeah, he's
2: pretty
1: exactly. good. yeah he's pretty good all right scott l says is there any reason for optimism that golden or washington will coach the whole depth charts this year uh I'm. I'm. A, look, I'm in with when it comes to Al Washington, and Al Golden, and everything that they're doing. I'm in 100% show me mode. I don't care what they yeah. say or do. I need to see it. I need to see it. We had another question down here too about <clears throat> about Al Washington and uh, and uh, and Al Golden. It said, has the recruiting effort gotten better uh, with on the D line and linebackers? At what point in the cycle will it be clear things have not improved and changes must be made? I mean, look. I guess I'd say Al Golden is at least spending more time making offers. He's more active. So I guess yeah. that's better. Guess more active, yeah. In that regard, but is he recruiting harder? Not really. Here's the thing that's frustrating about Al Golden. Al Golden's a very good recruiter. Yeah. His issues have nothing been. to do with ability. It's about effort, and about and I say effort. It's about priority. Do you think it's a priority to get on the g- recruiting trail? You know. Um right now he hasn't shown that really, you yeah. know? And so that's the, that's the concern. I don't think Al Washington's issue is so much about effort. It's just about poor planning and just not focusing on the right guys. And I mean, there's kids will talk to like, Hey, I love coach Al Washington. I, we have a great relationship. It's like, yeah, but that's not the guy you should have a great relationship with. You need to have a great relationship with that guy. You yeah, know what I mean? And, and so uh, those are, those are some of the issues that I, that I have with this recruiting. It-
2: it's it's weird with Al Washington too because I think Al Washington's another one of those guys where he does talk to kids and he does develop relationships with kids. It's just like does he do too many kids? Like that's my biggest. And I he, and he like, can't
1: close. Right, he can't and, close at all.
2: Like like why? Are, like we go back to that whole conversation, but like why are you talking to Justin Scott once every two weeks? Like are you allocating too many times to other kids? Like you have to prioritize kids at some point. Like that's got to yeah. be a thing.
1: Yeah. Somebody asked if Al Golden is lazy. It's not about laziness, it's about priorities. Yes. Al Golden's not sitting at home eating Cheetos, throwing down mountain dews while everybody else is recruiting. He's just to me focused on things that aren't like you know, scheme and this and film and all this. And those things are important, but you've got to be able to prioritize in college. You've got to be able to do all those things in college as a coordinator. He doesn't even have to recruit the way that he doesn't have I'm not asking to be Marcus Freeman you got to put in more work than what you're doing and you got to be willing to battle. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's my issue. And uh, Brent Brent Binkley said, Ian Moore's committed to Ohio state to play tackle and Notre Dame has offered him four months after he committed the Buckeyes. I don't care where Ohio state wants to play him. I I don't (laughs) care. He's not a tackle at the next level at the level that Notre Dame needs. I just don't think he is. And there's definitely better guys on him. I think he's a guard. He will be a guard at the next level, in my opinion. i I
2: agree i saw i saw him in i mean again like i saw the film of ian moore thought he was a good player thought he could be a very good guard at the next level but again the issues are is that notre dame hasn't gotten enough tackles the last two years that's the main issue it is it's not an ian moore thing it's the fact that you need to get guys like gerby lambert this this cycle like you need those guys that's where it is yeah
1: next question so uh All right, we have something from Rick Doyle uh, has to mention a sales rep came, said something really cool happened yesterday. A sale has to mention a sales rep came to my dealership yesterday. I sat my phone down to talk to him and I had IB pause. He saw it and said, I watch IB and LL every day. IB family here in Columbus. I absolutely love that, Rick. I That's thank awesome. you so much for sharing that story. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is amazing. I really appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you, uh, listening to this to your work day. (laughs) So I appreciate that very much, very, very much. I'm hoping Ryan and I, Angie and I are, we need to go buy a new car, uh, because our, our one car is already dead and the other one's about to die. So it's like, I don't want to go buy a new car, but we have no choice at this point in time, uh, new to us car. And uh, I'm like, man, I hope the dealer at the wherever we go, he listens to the show and likes it. <laughs> I'm hoping, so maybe we get a better deal. We shall see. Archer four five two says, Ryan, can we get an NFL draft beard from you this year? At the very least, a Ron Swanson mustache. Okay, I'm gonna say right now, as the boss, there will be no Ron Swanson mustaches on the show. Okay, beard wise, Ryan, we were having this conversation last week. You know, uh, hey, can you grow a beard? And like, um, when was the last time you shaved? Uh, last time I shaved, yesterday. Okay. Can you grow a beard, and will you grow a draft
2: beard? I, I can I can grow a beard. It's not a very attractive beard, but, the, I mean, yes, I can grow one. Mustache, I could definitely grow a mustache. There's no doubt. Will I grow a draft beard, Archer? I have to run that by caitlin roberts first because she is not the biggest fan of facial hair so that's uh yeah you know that's that's the main culprit in that situation and i guess my real question would be in order for it to be a draft beard when do i need to start this process and when do i need to when am i allowed to shave that would be my next question say that again when do I need to start this process of a draft beard? And when am I allowed to cut it? I assume the day after the draft. My question right.
1: is, when do I start the draft beard? I mean, I don't know. How quickly does your does your beard? I, I've never let it go to like full beard before. I've never but let it go. Here's the reality. Yeah. Uh, it's like me singing. In order to grow a beard when your wife doesn't like it, like the main reason I grow out beards is because my wife likes facial hair. I, I personally don't. And so, um, I think it's going to be, look, the super chest gonna have to be pretty big to get him to do something that Caitlin doesn't want him to do. So, I mean, that, that's the way I look at it, Ryan. So you, you let me know if the permission comes and then we'll address, uh, all those other things. Uh, well, we're waiting asks, uh, Coney dogs or chili dogs, Ryan. What's a, a Coney, Coney dog? It's just a different type of like a different type of mixture. The oh. chili dogs is like pure chili. A Coney dog is just a different type of it's like it's, it's chili-ish. I'm not know. really a chili dog yeah. person
2: in general, so yeah. no to both. I'm
1: Coney dogs for me. I don't like chili dogs. I like Coney dogs. I very much like Coney dogs. My when I was a kid, one of the things my grandma would do, there was a root beer stand down the street from her house. And it was an AW. I think it was an aW and I could be wrong on that. But they had, uh, we'd get, she'd get me root beer floats and they had these Coney dogs. Like they seemed like they were huge when I was a kid. I don't think they were like that big, but it was best Coney dog I ever had was those. So we went through a period of time in my life, Ryan, where we were, we were very, very poor. And where my dad worked, he could get hot dogs, hot dog buns and, and uh, Coney sauce really cheap. And so there was a period in our time where we had Coney dogs almost every day for dinner <laughs> because, you know, we could afford it. Uh, but, yeah, so I like I have I have a fondness for for Coney dogs. They're pretty good. I'm not a big chili dog fan, though.
2: I, I like it. hot dogs. I'm just not a chili person on my yeah. hot dog.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Do you do anything on hot dogs? or are you like I I yeah, I'm I either can, coney, I can, so, I can, coney or nothing for me? I can do
2: ketchup. I can do mustard if I feel like exactly. it, but I'm, you know, ketchup, mustard. Not really a big relish guy, but best hot dogs ever at the ballpark. Always, you know, you always need to get a nice hot dog at the ball game.
1: Okay. Let's go to the next question from Caleb Codds. Thoughts on college football rule change possibilities. So, Ryan, I'm trying to find this um, – these four things. I'm gonna pull up Ross Dellinger's Twitter page here real quick, just so I can give them specifically what the rule changes are. Oh, are there
2: are there new ones? I didn't even see
1: this. Yeah, it's about time length of gameplay. I'm gonna pull it up here. Just yeah. get just give me a second here. I'll have it here in a folks. Okay, here here it is. Number one is prohibiting consecutive timeouts regarding icing kicks. So we'll just take these one by one. That one I'm fully on board with. I don't think you should be able to call consecutive timeouts. I I, I don't I hate that in basketball. I hate that in football. Right, I think a play has to happen before you can call your next timeout. That's what I believe. So uh, I don't think you should do that. I I, I'm very much be a supporter of that, Ryan. Thoughts on that one? Look like you kind of didn't really have an opinion on that one. Yeah, I mean, I've never really
2: thought about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's annoying, especially to me watching a football game. Like it's it's just seems like seems like monotonous. Just you know. time wasted, and you yeah. know, you know what I mean. So
1: it's annoying, but it's also practically speaking. I just feel like you get a chance to call a timeout, you see what the other team is doing, you call a timeout. and you go back out there, and you shouldn't be able to use the timeout again. You should have to run another play before you call timeout. That's what I just think yeah. it should be. Yeah, way. I mean, if anything, whether it's icing just, a kicker or any situation, yeah, only the opposition
2: should be able to call another timeout if they wanted to, right. you know, like if it's a matching right. up to a different look or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, no untimed down at the end of the first quarter or third quarter. That's fine. I mean, okay.
0: Why uh, is that? Whatever.
1: So basically it's just about length of games and length of plays is what they're trying to do. So sure. if you have a penalty at the end of the first quarter, you replay the down, it's untimed. Uh, that's sure. fine. Whatever. I mean, you don't have an untimed down in there's five minutes left. So I would say go start the second quarter and that play happens in the second quarter. I'm fine with that. That's, that's not a big deal to me. So two, I can run with the next two. I don't like okay. number three is the clock runs after first downs, except inside of two minutes and a half. So basically going to the NFL rule for the most part. So um, I personally hate that rule. Uh, what kills me is the complaint is the length of games. Now they're using the whole, we want to limit the number of plays for safety bull crap. If you cared about safety, there's a million different rules you do differently. Right? So don't talk to me about it. it's about length of games. And too many games spilling over into the cl- slots of the next game. That's what it boils down to for me. Yeah, You want to do that, then here's a thought. Here's a crazy, crazy idea. Start games on time. So if it's a 2 o'clock game, start it at 2 o'clock. Or maybe cut it up 5 minutes. So instead of kicking off at th- 2.06, start it at 2.02 or something like that, right? And And number one. Number two, I don't know, maybe cut a commercial or two out during the course of games. Right. So don't tell me it's about, you know. Oh, so here's my question. And people, some games, why do people who supposedly love a sport advocate for rules where we see less of the sport? Are you going to lower ticket prices if you're cutting down the number of plays that are played in a game? The games are going shorter. Are you going to lower ticket prices if I'm going to see less of the game? I don't think so. Right. Division two and division three games have the same rules as division one. Why don't those games last as long? Because we have normal half times, we kick off on time and we don't have commercial breaks. So how about you limit a couple commercial breaks per half? How about that? Or limit the length of commercial breaks? How about that? Why are those never the proposals? if it's about the quality of the game? Because it's not about the quality of the game. It's about money. And that's what drives me nuts. So no, I don't this isn't the freaking NFL. Right. Well, I don't. And this thing. Why are people so dead set on making college football just like the NFL? If you want, if you like the NFL, freaking watch the NFL. Stop trying to make college football the NFL. It's different, right? So, and and for most of these kids, ninety some percent of college football kids, this is the last chance they have to play football ever. Why are we trying to take more of that away from them? It's not about player safety. It's about money. Did you see the? uh... That's my issue with it. Did you see the
2: the new rule that was in the USFL, I think, or it was in the XFL? Did you see the new kickoff rule they have in the XFL? No, I didn't. What is it? So the so the kicker is at regular depth, the returner is at the regular depth, but then the all the special teams players on both sides, I think are on like the 30-yard tw- line uh, like at the closer to where the returner is. And they're all like locked up basically one-on-one in like a fitted position. And so the kicker kicks off the returner. When the returner starts returning the football, the guys are all locked up and they're not allowed to disengage and try to go after the ball carrier until after the returner starts the, the entry receives the football. So they're all in like a fitted position type of thing. Oh, I, they're, they're, have, I think that that is. I think yeah. that is for safety, which is a good thing. But I don't know how I feel about it yet. I need to see it more, yeah. honestly. But I mean, they're trying to eliminate the running seventy yards full speed and massive
1: collision type of thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I, I get like, that. I get yeah. that. Um, uh, I don't. But see, here's I. I return kick. I was on kick return team in height in college. I, yeah. I never had a hit where I was like, oh my god, that was just the worst hit I've ever taken. Yeah. Right? Like I, I just. You know, I, I think they look worse than they are. Look, they've gotten rid of some. There were some things on kick returns that to me needed to go, like the wedge. Because the like only the way wedge. you can bust up a wedge is by literally sacrificing your body at the you know, the, the kickoff gods to get it done. Like, that's fine, but I, you know, I think a lot of stuff is we're still tinkering with it too much. I mean, you know, it's at this point, I'm just freaking get rid of kickoffs then. Like, I don't like that because I, I think those ch- have an impact of the game, but. I think there's plenty of other things they could do to change the rules than, than that. I, I don't I'd have to honestly honestly I'd have to see it, Ryan. I think in my head I don't like it. But if I saw it, I may be like, Oh, you know what? Like practically I, I kinda like that. It makes a lot of sense. So I think I'd have practi- to see it a little bit.
2: Practically from a safety perspective, it makes sense, but there's also like the purist in me that's like that's not how it's supposed to be played right.
1: you know <laughs> I'm all for changing rules as long as you stay to the traditional aspects of the game like to me traditionally the wedge was a big part of kick returns I'm okay getting rid of that because there's nothing else in football that's like that right and you know okay yeah there's nothing else football you run 70 yards I, I get all that but number one you don't run 70 yards because you're that means you'd be t- tackling the guy at the goal line
2: yeah yeah
1: and you're usually weaving in and out of people anyway, so it's not like a com- full dead sprint. But I get the principle. I'd have to see it, Ryan, before I make too too harsh of a judgment on it. Honestly, I'd really have to see it. I, I used to love running down and kickoff. I think that's why I'm a little yeah. fired up about it. <sighs> I yeah, I get that. I get that. All right, here we go. Uh, oh, the, oh, so that's three. And then the last rule was clocks run on incompletions once the ball is spotted.
2: I don't think I like that. Yeah. I don't think I like it. That's a dead ball, right? Like nothing happened. You didn't advance or anything. You didn't right. lose yardage. You didn't advance yardage. Like why am I? Why is the clock what's, running? What's the rule
1: in the NFL on an incompletion?
2: As far as what, if the clock stops?
1: Yeah, does it start so, once they spot the ball? No, not do So worried. this would be a rule so. that no other sport does. Like no I, other level of football does it that way. I've and I've, I've never seen that shorten games. It's stupid. Never seen that before. Dumb. Never seen that before.
2: Yeah, I mean, why? Why? I just don't understand why the clock started. You're, you're if making you're happens. making the
1: first down. You're making incomplete rule the same as a first down rule, which is dumb. Yeah. to me.
2: Wait, so my my question though would be: so in that situation, if I'm if I'm running an offense where it's like less than like a minute left in the game and I'm trying to get in position, a quarterback can't throw the ball away because the clock would keep running. Is that tr- is that what it, I'm getting? at? It would that? keep running once the ball's spotted. <sighs> So so if I'm like a quarterback, the, I need to chuck that thing out. Like, well, no, because they're just throwing a new football. Uh, oh, you know what man, I mean? Like, that's so dumb, man. I yeah, hate that. Agreed. I hate
1: that. Plus, you got a guy running 40 yards down the field. Now he's got to sprint back, or you've got to force him to come off the field, which some teams do anyway. But yeah, okay. I don't. I don't. Colin that. just said something in the
2: chat that like, what? So
1: what if they spike the football? Is that the clock still Again, runs? It stops
2: until they've spotted it? I hate that. I hate yeah. that so much. I hate that so yeah.
1: much. Yeah, I don't Agreed. like that at all. But to Colin's point on the spike is if you spike the ball with one second left, you almost have zero chance of getting the ball snapped. Yeah, you and you it, wouldn't even it spike is, it anymore. Yeah. It wouldn't make right. any sense for you. Yeah. Right. I think it's dumb. That's really yeah. dumb. That's I, the I,
2: worst one, I think. That's like, really do, dumb. do
1: they even have football people as part of these rules? Like, I swear to God, it drives me nuts, Ryan. And and it, Oh, my gosh. I shouldn't swear to God, but I'm just so annoyed with everything that they do. Like, So the only way you can
2: stop the clock is if you take a timeout.
1: That's the only way you can to c- stop the to clock. Just completely stop the clock where it doesn't yeah. start again until the ball snapped? Yes, let's take a timeout.
2: Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that so much.
1: Yeah. So dumb. All right, let's get to some more questions here. Brian, from Beefeater, a.k.a. the old-school toe jam, uh, with all the linebacker talent we have, what do you do with Maris Leifau? Love the kid, but seeing him lost or getting eaten up by linemen last year may keep him off the field, I think.
2: This is a big year for Maris Leifau. It's a big spring. Huge it's a big spring. fall. I mean, at the end of the day, Beefeater, like, last year was not good enough. <laughs> we know it wasn't good enough. I mean, it was not. Maris was not good last year. And I think Maris would also tell you that he wasn't good last year. I I think that he's, you know, I think that he's a smart kid, right? So this is a big year because like you just said, there's a lot of talent coming up through the pipe, man. And if you do not hit somewhere near your potential, or at least become a consistent football player this year, you're going to get passed up pretty quick. I would think you would have to, because, Look, I know that there's some stubbornness to maybe play a younger player at linebacker from what we saw last year. Maybe. I don't know. But all I'm saying is like Al Golden at the end of the day is a smart guy. He's a smart coach. He is. And I would be I'd be very disappointed if he just was like, Oh no, that's fine. Same thing as last year. Cool. Let's just stick with that. Like at some point, man, it's like, okay, Marish, you had the year to get back into playing shape and to get back to where you were before the injury, all that great stuff, man. But if you're doing that same stuff in year two as a starter, then maybe you're just that guy. Like maybe that's just who you are, right? So this is a make it or break it year for Marisol. It's a make it or break it off season for Marisol foul more than anything.
1: Mm -hmm. Agree. he he, if he doesn't step up and play better, he's gotta not he's got to have a more niche role. That's it, yeah. where he just, it's is his job, and he just goes and does it.
2: Maybe a part-time Viper or something, yeah, right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: Brian Hockney says, who is your favorite preferred walk-on that Notre Dame signed? It's easy. That for me, and and they signed some really good walk-ons. It's Luke Talich for me. I mean, yeah, Luke Talich is a good That's football it. player. He
2: That's it, really man. He's out of the state of Wyoming, 6'3", 185 pounds. Talked about it a bunch already, but he said he had multiple scholarship offers to play Pac-12 football. Just grew up a Notre Dame fan. Just all yep. came down to. So the opportunity as a preferred walk-on meant more to him than playing at Utah or playing at Washington State yeah. or whatever. I mean, that kid is a really physical kid. I think that he has some incredible instincts and good short area explosiveness. Could he stay at safety long-term? It's possible, but I think eventually as that kid hits a weight room and hits the college strength program, yeah. that's a rover, man, and that's a really good yep. one too. <laughs> that's a really good one potentially. Yep. I would be surprised, I'll put it like this, if, if Luke is a part of the Notre Dame program for four to five years, I'd be surprised if he's not a scholarship player. Relatively early in his career. I'm not saying like I'll, year. I'll one, see you one
1: like, better. I'll be shocked if he's not in the rotation at some point in time in his uh, career. Like like it. he's like not like a. I'm the number two guy on the depth chart, but I don't ever play. Like not that kind of number two, but like number two. We're like this guy's playing. Like Looks
2: he's good. He's player. He's
1: a good player. I have a question, Ryan. Some Larry Friedell brought up. He said, like the Marino fake spike. I have a question for you. Yes. I've always had this thought. I've never liked the fake spike. I, I've never thought that should be a legal play, and what? a perfect a, a perfect. Sorry, um, I'm explain because it's a good question. It's it's a lot like that Kenny Pickett play a couple years ago, where when a quarterback spikes the ball, you can't come in and hit him, you can't tackle him, you can't. You're not allowed to. I mean, there's things you can't do because it's a spike. You have to let it play. It's like when a quarterback slides, you can't hit him. And you remember, was it the bowl game or was it the ACC championship game against Wake Forest? When Kenny Pickett's running and he fakes slides and then they stop because they can't hit him and then he keeps running. Like you're faking something that the other team has, is, is by rule not allowed to do something to you, right? Like if a quarterback takes a step back and he's going to spike it or take a knee or something, right? Like you can't go hit him. You can't hit him after he spikes. You get called for a penalty. You have to stop and, you know, spikes and the plays over. So anytime you're faking something that that changes the rules where you can't do this, if a guy does that, I don't think you'd be allowed to fake that. So it, it's a, it, and then, now they've since changed the rule. You can't do what Kenny Pickett did. You can't fake a slide and then go. Yeah. You know, so to me, it's similar vein. I've always felt that way about the fake. Now, it's a, it worked great for Reno. Right. I think it was what against the Jets, but I've never liked that rule. I mean, he great, great for him. It was the rule, but if it was up to me, the rule would be you can't simulate a spike and then do it. Now, if you want to simulate a spike formationally, fine. And then, but the quarterback—it's it. the act of the quarterback simulating a spike in any type of way—is the issue for me. That's my okay. that's my take on it. So, this. so
2: if they line up in a spike late in formation and then Marino just drops back without the motion of the fake spike, totally fine it. with that.
1: Okay. If he turned okay. around and tossed it to the guy playing deep, totally fine with that. You okay. can't simulate the fake the action of a fake snap. That's my or like a spike, I should say. You can't you can't way. like come back. You can't like fake taking a knee and then get up and throw. You're simulating the act that would ki- kill the play. Then I think that should be it. Right okay. now, if you drop back on like a they think you're going to take a knee and you're just dropping back, dropping back, dropping back, and you throw it, totally fine because you're not simulating the take that you're taking a knee. Same thing with the spike, so that's that's my that would be my stance on that. Like Sorry. Derek Palmer says, you can't fake something designed to protect you, and that's kind of the the, the principle of the rule. So well, luckily, apparently a
2: spike is not going to be a thing very shortly, so we are not have to worry. I know, about right? <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: spike it, pick the ball up, and chuck it sixty yards. Seriously, <laughs> <life's> life. <laughs> and I would say if you're going to do that, then stop. Then you can't. Here's the thing: the only way that I would be okay with that is if you're going to say, hey, you can't switch balls during a series. Because, like, literally they would just throw a new ball in from the sideline. You'd have that thing, like, set in five seconds. Like, that's just – it doesn't – like, here's the deal. You could not do what TCU did at the end of the game to beat Baylor this year. Spike the ball, run that team off, run the field goal team on, and get the kick. We need to save that three seconds? Really? Really? (laughs) You know? So – yeah, I, I don't – I didn't love that one. I,
2: I especially hate when it becomes a deterrence, uh, especially like during the biggest moments of a football game too, right? Like I could care less about time at that point when like you're hurting a team that's trying to win a football game, man. Like they're trying to right. drive down to win a football game, and then all of a sudden the only way that they can stop the clock is with the timeout. That's the only way? Like, Well, I mean right. I guess you go out of bounds, but still. Yeah,
1: it's absurd. Yeah. Fullback Dive has a question, Ryan. He says, would it be easier for Sullivan to move to tackle after starting a guard and getting some experience or better to play tackle from the beginning if, if that was what where he was going to end up? Uh, I mean,
2: it's always easier to go from tackle to guard than guard to tackle. I mean, that's uh, guard to tackle is just not a transition that happens. Like, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I think of Braden Smith that played guard uh, played guard at Auburn and then transitioned to right tackle for the Indianapolis Colts. Like, that's really one of the lone outliers. Like, it doesn't happen because it's difficult to play offensive tackle, right? Like, if Sullivan Absher an offensive tackle, he needs to play offensive tackle and just play offensive tackle. Like, you need to stick him there. I'm not playing him at guard with the idea that, oh, but eventually he'll be a tackle, right? You know what I mean? Because, I mean, that's like more like a – there's more trajectory of like – let me – I'm trying to figure out how to say this the best. Like, Charles Jagasaw is a guy, right? Charles Jaggers is going to play tackle at Notre Dame more than likely. But could he play guard early on in his career to get him on the field? Yes. But project from but from a development side, if you think that Sullivan Natural is a tackle, he has to play tackle because yeah. he is not used to the nuances of right. playing offensive tackle. That's important for his development that he needs. So if he's a tackle, stick him a tackle. He can't yeah. play guard as a, as a freshman because Sullivan needs those reps if you think he's a tackle. He needs to play out in the islands.
1: Because to this question, it is easier to move a guy inside the guard than it is vice versa. Yes. The only and Ryan, you nailed the exception too. The exception would be is if you think Sullivan Absher can start for you as a freshman at guard. And then maybe kick out. Because then you're doing it if you have a whole off season. You you're, you know, you're doing it then. So yes, I agree completely with what Ryan said. If you think a guy has a shot to play tackle, you start him at tackle and see what he see what he can do. And then and then kind of go from there. Like so what I said earlier was if the new old line coach doesn't see him as a tackle, then make the move and, and do that. But that that would be the thing.
0: It, I, I almost
2: wish, I almost wish that's what's going to happen for Sullivan, man. Because again, I think if he just sticks to guard and he
1: just develops there, I think he could be a really good guard,
2: man. I really do. Yeah.
1: Let's go to the next question from Bailey Brad. I think it's a fair question. I don't agree with it, but I think it's a fair question. He says, "Doesn't Marcus Freeman get some blame for linebacker recruiting?" You know, I'm I'm a Freeman defender but that should be his bread and butter. I understand where you're coming from, but the fact of the matter is, is number one, he said, I'm the lead recruiter for everyone, which A, is not practical, but B, does mean his time is spread much more thin. And look, you you can't, if you're going to spend the time needed on linebackers specifically to overcome failures of your current staff, then it's going to then suffer in other positions. You can't be that guy, in my opinion. So no, I'm, I'm I don't think he he deserves the blame from a operational standpoint. For me, where I would say, hey, coach, this is where my criticism would be: is why aren't you either a making a change at linebacker, or b doing more to make sure that your your defensive coordinator is. Doing what he needs to do from a work standpoint, and then also making sure that he's coordinating more with your recruiting coordinator to make sure that they're all on the same page. I'm not saying that's not happening. I'm saying those are the things that I would do. Are those two things? Uh, I think it's about him demand. He needs to. That's where he, he needs to be more active. Is hey, Al, freaking do what you need to do, man. I'm out here trying to help Mick with corners. I'm trying to help O'Leary with Satan. I'm trying to help Al with d linemen. I'm trying to help Chancey with receivers. I'm trying to help, you know, uh, Gino with quarterbacks. I'm trying to help, you know, dealing with right. I can't also be the primary linebacker recruiter. I, it's, not I, I it's not his job to
2: babysit. Right. It's not his job to babysit, to your point. Yeah.
1: Right. All right. Here we go. From Brandon Plesner, he says, I'm worried. I'm I'm worried about them settling for guys on the d line instead of pushing for some others they've offered. I, I, I share your sentiment. I, I get do. that. Where, where Brandon and I would disagree is I don't view Bryce young as being one of the guys that they would be selling for. I don't. Uh, But that's a different conversation, but I do, I do get concerned that they're going back to the Brian Kelly way of recruiting, which is just taking some of the easier wins as opposed to really battling for some, some of the better players. Anthony Manzano has a question for you, Ryan. Once Sam Hartman leaves after the 24 season, Who is the future quarterback at Notre Dame? This is coming from both a Hurricanes and Irish fan.
2: I I mean, I think that the easy one is if it goes the way that it could. I mean, I I think that there's a possibility that Tyler Buckner is that guy. You know, if he buys in and he is settled to being the future of the program and learns a year maybe with Sam, Sam Hartman and battles with them and makes himself better day in and day out, I still think Tyler Buckner could be that guy. If Tyler chooses that he's – that's not a situation he wants to be in, then, I mean, your mind then goes to Kenny Minchie as a redshirt freshman in 2024. Maybe C.J. Carr comes in and he battles as a true freshman. Like, that's when the next wave happens as far as, like, what the future future of the, of the quarterback position is. But I think the immediate return is Tyler Buckner still has that upside to be the guy for Notre Dame in 2024 and beyond.
1: Agree completely. Agree completely. All right. Next question from Jimmy McGill: Does the offensive coordinator have to coach a position, or can you coach uh, for each position? Can can you have a, a coach for each position and then a separate OC? You can, but you're gonna have to take away from somewhere else. Yeah, and that means you got to fire Brian Mason. You have to have somebody teaching two positions, like maybe you have an O line tight ends coach. He does both. Shh, uh, maybe you have. <laughs> here, here's an option: is you hire a really good GA that works for the tight ends during individual drills, but the receivers coach is involved in the pass game part. The O-line coach's part is, is involved in the run blocking part. You could do something like that, but, you know, I, I think in, in, in some offenses in Notre Dame's offense, the tight ends coach needs a coach. Here's the uniqueness of, of offensive versus defensive coaching. It's same 11 guys, but the positions are broken down more in my opinion on offense it's quarterback running back receivers tight ends o-line and some you could even say you know o-line you know tackles tight ends guard centers but it's still two guys for tight end and offensive line in some capacity on defense it's d-line linebackers corner safeties i mean it's it's four verse five so it, it, to me I, I do believe in in most offenses you need a tight end specifics coach there's some you could get away with it ryan but not in a pro style team system like Notre Dame's. So, yeah, uh, yeah. if you have, let's just say hypothetically that like Tyler Eifert decided he wanted to get back into coaching, and you were able to bring him in as a GA, okay, cool, yeah, all right. <laughs> Could you imagine I, that? <laughs> you, know what I mean? like, like you you trust that he'd be able to do to a certain degree? He'd be able to coach that position with help from the O line, receivers, coach, and Jared Parker, right? Sure. If, if you gave me a GA like that or a really smart, up-and-coming young coach that you could get for a GA, for, then, then I'm cool with that. Like like Mike Elko did this with uh, Tyler Santucci, who's now his defensive coordinator Duke. He was a GA, I believe, in 2017, but he coached the Rovers. Now, Clark Lee had oversight and all that, but he was coaching the Rovers. He would take the Rovers during drills. Nick lazinski would do things like that when he was a GA. So if you get like a really talented GA, you can get away with him doing more But none of those guys were like full time. I have a position all to myself, like you'd have to have with the with the GA, right? So even though Tyler Santucci was the rover's coach, he still had Clark Lee as the linebackers coach that was like there to help and lead and direct. He wasn't. It wasn't a completely separate position the way the tight end is. So, uh, but if you get a guy like that and you want to give him more responsibility, I'm cool with that. It just you have to make sure he's good enough to do that. Here's a question from Ian Johnson. Do you think Ian Book's inability to read a defense taught Reese that he had to look for the perfect plate? No, because he didn't really start doing that till this year. They've always done some version of the scan, but like Jack Cole was very good at reading defenses and they still did that with him. Right. That was just more about Tommy Reese being a coach whose philosophy, and this isn't right or wrong. I'm just, it is what it is. It's a different philosophy. I'm more of a, I want to develop schemes that, allow us to have options depending on what they do. That's how I am Uh, because that allows me to have less volume. It also allows me to go a little quicker. It allows me to get into more of a rhythm as it goes, line up, stop, look, come back, get the ball play set with five seconds left, and then quickly get your side adjustments and all that within five seconds. I just personally don't like that. Other coaches do do that. It's a philosophy thing. I want to be in the perfect play, but that has to require greater volume. Of concepts to be effective, be able to effectively do that, which is another reason I don't like it. To be completely honest with you, and and NFL teams do that a lot. It's just the difference is in the NFL. What's the moment that the 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 thing goes off, the ear thing that's goes like, off?
2: I think it's like fifteen seconds or something, twenty seconds. Right.
1: So to yeah, a degree, yeah. you can kind of do that in the NFL, yeah. right? Because you can talk to them, you know, to to a degree. But it's that, just a what... philosophy thing. That's what the Rams did when
2: Jared Goff was the quarterback and Sean McVay was the head coach, that um, they would get up to the line very quickly to get set so that Sean McVay was not only setting the play, he was also telling Jared, like, Jared, like, throw here in this situation type of thing, trying to cheat the system a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yep.
1: Ant VR has a mailbag question. He says the spread for the Ohio state versus Notre Dame game is currently Ohio state minus eight. If you had to bet it today, wh- who would you be taking? That's an easy one for me. I'm taking, I'm taking Notre Dame. Give me the points, man. Yes. Give me the points. Absolutely. You yes, got Honestly, a super chat here from Shaquille oatmeal. This is freaking hilarious. Oatmeal or grits.
2: I have never had grits. Actually in theory, I think I would love grits. I mean, it's, it's just cornmeal, right? Basically is kind of the whole premise of it. Yep. But I mean, I'm a big oatmeal guy. Eat oatmeal almost every morning, so if I guess I have to defer,
1: Ryan of yes. grits. You can always watch my cousin Vinny. They have a very good uh, right. exposition on the proper method of cooking grits. And uh, yes. and no self-respecting southerner has instinct and grits. That's yes, right. I have seen hard. it, man. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm movie. proud of you, Ryan. I'm That's proud you. of you. I'm That's very cool. proud that you've watched that movie very much. I'm an oatmeal. Are, guy. are you
2: te- are you telling me that in your ki- in your kitchen a grit Soaks up the liquid faster than anybody else's kitchen. to
1: exist on your stove. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fast cook, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love that movie. I watched that movie for the I could watch, I mean, I've watched that movie at least 20-25 times, and I laugh every single time I watch that movie. It is so yes. hilarious. Love it. I, I made Caitlin watch that like a couple years ago. She had never seen it. It's such a good yeah. movie, man. It's really good. That's how Blazing Saddles was for me. Yeah. I didn't watch that until I was in my 20s because it was my dad's favorite movie. He he liked westerns. My granddad uh liked westerns, his dad liked westerns. Like we'd go over there, he'd be watching like some John, and I've just never been a Westerns guy. Like, there's a couple Clint Easton, Clint Eastwood Westerns that were okay. So I'm like, the last thing I want to do is watch a Western comedy. You know what I mean? Like, like no thanks. But he's like, yeah. oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's so funny. And, and it, Mel Brooks did it. And I remember watching Spaceballs. And I thought Spaceballs was one of the stupidest <laughs> movies ever. Like, so I did stupid. not. I thought it was so dumb. So I did not enjoy stupid. it at all. Yeah. So I was like, I won't like it. And I didn't watch those in my 20s. Like, this is like one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It was <sighs> great. It was absolutely great. Did you see what Jay Wick just said? Utes. Uh-uh. Utes. Uh, you remember, what did you, you r- call r- him? R- a ute, yeah. Youth. Youth? Oh, sorry, the youths, <laughs> yes. Great movie, great movie, Fantastic. great movie, Fantastic. yeah. Did you say, uh, what did you say? Ute, yeah, ute. what's a ute? <laughs> <laughs> I met his wife. You going kind to of shoot up poor innocent little deer, <laughs> yeah, a little, just a little sipping from the brook. Bam! Now, would you care what the pe- the color of the pants the guy was, the shot she was wearing? She she was great in that movie, by the way. She was amazing. Awesome. Yeah. She was amazing in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could literally do a whole show on just quoting my cousin Vinny. It's just great. That's, it's incredible. It's absolutely great. All right. So uh, next, we have two more left here uh archer 452 says what is the arm length and explosiveness difference between ian moore and girby lambert lambert is listed at 66280 and moore's at 65295
2: i think the biggest difference between the two is lateral mobility like i just i think that ian moore is just a little bit tight man like i just don't think he moves laterally incredibly well well i think Gerby lambert does that exceptionally well like he is just an easy easy mover i don't have the arm length on either one of those players but i mean i would think that lambert's longer than ian moore but i mean that again it's not it really. definitely a, appears
1: to be on film no question
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that i don't even think it's really an ian moore like body composition thing that's like he's on a tackle for me it's literally i just think he's tight man i just think he's tight and i think he's better in condensed spaces that's yeah. all i and think he's he can not be a really super, good in that super rolling. mover not, i
1: yeah. think he's he's more tommy kramer than he is liam eikenberg Right now, right. Liam Eiken, Tommy Kramer had longer arms than Liam Eikenberg, yes, but Tommy was a guard, Liam was a tackle. So there's a lot more things that go into that than just I believe Tommy had longer arms than, 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 uh, now that I say that, I'm, I'm like, okay, let me just go look here real quick. Tommy definitely did. He definitely did. Yeah. I'm he pretty sure. Liam had short that he did. arms. Liam had short yeah, arms. Very short arms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Kramer had 33 and a half inch arms. So, um, Liam's were like 32 and something like right. 32 and three eights or something right yes so I'm just gonna pull that up here real quick so if you look at a lot of different parts about them the 32 and three eights six five 302 you know Tommy was six five three seventeen. not a huge difference it's very similar in the dimensions that you're mentioning Archer but it was Liam moved like a tackle and he, ha- he had the athleticism of a tackle. He was more comfortable in space. Ian Moore is not a guy that, to me, looks necessarily overly great in space. Again, this isn't to say that Ian Moore is not a, a good football player. I don't think he's a top 100 guy. He's definitely a top 200 guy, top 150, 200 guy for sure. I, it's just they don't need more guards. And if they're going to get a guard, they need a guy that's just a, a butt kicker. And to me, I just don't I don't know that he is that type of thing. Here, here's one this is uh from our resident lsu fan i guess and uh, we have two now we have frank mccatry is also lsu fan and then insured by big says as the lone nice lsu fan here we actually have two my friend so that's very nice i think you might be the only two on the planet as far as i can tell so far uh, here that keeps up with all the ib content the clouds have parted and kelly is taking pullian off the field from coaching <laughs> thanks guys for the great content uh honestly, it's it's a it was actually a really smart move by Kelly because Bri- Brian Brian brings a lot of value in the role he's being assigned to. It's the only role I think he brings value. Somewhat recruiting, but personnel, putting a team together, all that kind of stuff. Brian Pullian doesn't relate well to kids, they just don't respect him. And he's a mediocre coach, in my opinion. Personnel wise, I think Brian Polian could bring a lot of value as long as he is a team player. And isn't you know, so if he's not in a recruiting role, he has to bring in X number of kids, I think he'd be more of a team player. So I, I think he brings a lot more value to that. Cause as we told y'all last year, uh Brian Poleon is not a very good special teams coach. Yeah. And LSU fans saw that firsthand in what about every big game they played? I mean, they had a huge special teams mistakes against Florida State. Their special teams against Tennessee. I don't know what the heck they were doing. They gave up a touchdown on special teams against Georgia in the SEC title game. You remember that? on the block field goal. So oh, yeah. yeah, that, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, but,
2: but according to a LSU podcaster that had you on a podcast, he's a really good special teams coach. One of the Look best. at his resume. Look at his one resume.
1: Of one of the best. Unbelievable. Anyway. So that, that was, um, that was always a bit of a ridiculous one, Ryan. So yeah, and here we go. I want to see, there was one more question that I Archer 452 says, looking at the week one schedule for the upcoming season, I can't remember an opening week with fewer quality matchups. Will TV networks start requiring a certain number of better games weekly? That's a really good question, Ryan, because like this past year, I thought we had some great week one and week two matchups. Like week one this year was excellent, I thought. I mean, you had Notre Dame and Ohio State. Uh, you you had West Virginia Pitt on that Thursday before. You had Oregon, Georgia. You had Utah, Florida. Yeah. Uh, see here's there's like one, uh, Cincinnati, Arkansas. And then Clemson, Georgia Tech played that Monday. So there were some really good opening weekend games. Now, as far as this upcoming season for 2024, um, I don't really, I don't know that I could point to a lot of those really good games. Right now that I'm kind of thinking about it, like I don't, I mean, looking through it, I can't really think of a ton of great opening weekend games. I don't think they'll do anything about it, honestly. I, I don't. Um, the reality is, is I, most people in week one are going to watch no matter what because it's your first chance to see your team play. True. So whether you're playing Georgia or whether you're playing Georgia State, you're going to watch m- most likely. The teams that make money anyway are going to do that, and teams are going to care more about. Oh, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to uh get to the playoff now 12 team playoff and all that kind of stuff. So I I wish they would do more to do those type of things. I do I wish they would do more to try to incentivize um more of the big game out of conference games. Like I wish conferences would would do more to do that, but the reality is is even then it's hard, Ryan. Like remember yeah. when Florida Notre Dame started with Florida State in 2021? Yep. You're looking at this, and if you just looked at this game a decade ago, you're like, holy moly, you're starting at Florida State. You're going to play Wisconsin in in the first month of the season. You got to play at Florida State and Wisconsin. Like, man, and you got to play Toledo. Because remember, 10 years ago, Toledo's pretty flip a good Mac team, right? Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward to 2021, and none of those teams were good, right? And and so it's like, it's really hard to guarantee that you're going to get good games because you just don't know how good teams are going to be from year to year. I think you have to at least try to schedule that right like when alabama played florida state at the beginning of uh, what year was it they played florida it was a 2019 18 17 somewhere one of those years alabama played florida state and it ended up not being a very good win for them because florida state ended up just not being very good and you know you look and say but but i don't really fault them as 17 i don't fault them for that because when you schedule that game like florida state's like four years removed from a national championship Right, I mean, they were pretty good coming into that year. Now, that year of Florida State, that's when they started their descent. They went seven and six, but in 2016 they were ten and three, in 2015 they were ten and three, in 2014 they were thirteen and one, and in 2013 they were national champs. So, how could they have predicted that that's the year that they were going to go into the crapper? Right. So, to me, there's intent. Did you intent? Did you schedule this game with the intent of it being a challenge? Michigan last year had zero intent of being challenged out of conference. Zero, zero M- Washington playing Michigan state out of conference ended up not being a very big win, but the intent was there. Yeah. Right. And so that to me matters to me. I wish they would demand more of that to be completely honest with you. I do. It's or, I, I guess you go to 10 people, conference games.
2: One of the two. Yeah. P- people would probably think it's dumb for me to say something like this, but I do think it's like a really good, Initial peak into the season, right? If you have some of those matchups, it's like it's like your first impression on a season, right? And I know it's not a person-to-person meeting, but like that does matter to me. Of like, what's the season getting kicked off with,
1: man? Like, what are we looking forward to? Like the excitement right. level. I,
2: I think it does matter. I do.
1: We have a question here from Edward Cheatham. Edward asks, do you think that the transfer portal will allow NCAA coaches coming from the NFL to make up for their lack of high school recruiting experience due to experience transfers valuing NFL experience more? I think there's merit to that because if you're coming from the NFL and let's say you're a co- coordinator or a head coach, you're coming with some buzz. And you're coming with, dude, this is an NFL guy. This guy did such and such. Like, let's just say, hypothetically, Sean McVay was like, I'm sick of the NFL. I'm sick of dealing with these kids and these mega contracts. Although now it's not as important because you're getting contracts in college anyway. Let's say, hypothetically, Sean McVay was like, dude, I want to coach in college. Right? I just, I want to coach in college. And he gets a college job. He's going to be able to hit the portal hard because he's got a Super Bowl ring. He was an NFL head coach who did A, B, C, and D. You're going to be like, dude, I want to go play. This guy knows what it takes. He's going to play in a pro style system, blah, 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 blah. He would do very well in the transfer portal, in my opinion, For sure. right away, For sure. which to Edward's point would then help the fact that I got to learn this whole high school thing a little bit, right? Because the transfer portal is much closer to NFL free agency than high school recruiting is, in my opinion. Yep. And so there's a limit, more limited timeline, right? It all happens in a shorter period of time. The pitches are, here's what I can offer you. It's not like that year and a half building a relationship that, like if you talk to high school NFL guys as early as you talk to high school kids, you're tampering. You get you lose draft picks and find millions of dollars. So I think the portal would be much more right up in your wheelhouse of, hey, we got a month to go out there and get this sucker signed, which is exactly what NFL free agency is. Like if you don't get a big time guy signed in the first couple weeks of NFL free agency, you're kind of screwed. You know what I mean? Like there's a couple guys here and there, but you're just hoping some veteran gets cut or you're, you're in the port. Well, let's see what happens after mini camp. Maybe somebody's got to cut a guy as a casualty cap. We go get him then. But like that stuff happens quick, Ryan, like you look at NFL free agency, man, those those guys are signing like nonstop, like with a couple weeks. You're, I mean, am I, am I correct in the time frame? It's about a week or two. And most of the big name guys are signed. I mean, right, first, the two first
2: days, couple of weeks, most most of the yeah. guys signed. Honestly, that's yeah.
1: that's much more close to what the NCAA, in, in the portal is, in my opinion. So yeah. that's a great observation, Edward. I think that is absolutely something you could see if from if NFL guys wanted to come down as coordinators or as head coaches. I think that absolutely be something that would be beneficial. No, no question about it. So good observation on that one. Well, Ryan, that's going to do it for today's show. Really good show. Great stuff. Uh, We'll kind of continue to get better and better and better about this, how this format's going to go. But I really like this format where we just hit on a bunch of different topics. We won't do it every day because sometimes you have a hard enough time coming up with like one interesting topic in the off season. We're not going to come up with like four or five every day, but I do like this Wednesday show. If you guys have topics you want us to discuss, on the message board. That's it. You know what? That's actually something we should do. Ryan is on as every weekend. Say, Hey, what do you guys want to discuss this Wednesday? Now, sometimes we'll have topics we need to discuss, but there may be something interesting. That a lot of you want to discuss. So if you're on the premium message board, go ahead and do that. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So, um, Ryan, thank you for being on the show today. Glad that you're back after getting yesterday off. I want to remind y'all again, if you have the, the means Number one, step up and help out Jade Mickey's mother. She has stage four colon cancer. Uh, She has to, the family has to relocate to a different state in order to be where the treatment facility is to do that. Um, I would really appreciate that very, very much. We have that on our Twitter page. I'm going to put another link to it now uh, in the the chat below. So you'll have that there. Uh, Just give me a second to pull that one up again so I can put that in there. I'm gonna put that in the chat here, real quick. So if you're able to uh, do that, if if you're able to or not able to, and you're someone who believes in the power of prayer, as I do, I would pray. Uh, I would ask you to make sure that you keep Jaden in his family's prayers, not just Miss, not just Mrs. Mickey and her husband Lamar, who Ryan, you and I have gotten to know a little bit over the last year. Really good guy, great family. Um, not just them, but also this is a lot for a. 19, 20 year old kid who's a student at Notre Dame trying to play football, that and he's dealing with his mom is fight for her life. So keep him uh, and the family in your prayers, absolutely. And if you can help out financially, we would appreciate you stepping up and helping out financially. We have given, Irish Breakdown has given, and we would love to be able to help the family um, continue to, to, to do more and more and more to meet the needs that they have. So we would greatly, greatly appreciate that, folks. Hit that like button, everybody. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. And give us a five star review. We would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that. And as always, folks, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We're getting closer and closer and closer to 3,000 subscribers. That was our goal for next season. So we wanted to be 1,000 by 2022. We went way we surpassed that. Our goal was to be to uh, 2000, excuse me, 2020. Yeah, 2022. So, and then, you know, 2000 by this year, but we're skyrocketing past that. So, we've now reset the goal for, two, for $3,000 by uh, uh, this year. And so, we would like to get there before spring ball starts. So, if, you, if you've been thinking about signing up, haven't been able to do so, do so now. We would greatly appreciate that. Lots of great conversation going on. Also, if you want to support Irish Breakdown beyond just the normal monthly or annual fee, you can also join one of the booster clubs. You have the Shamrock Club, which is $100 uh, a year. The Blue Club is 150 and the Gold Club is 200 If you sign up in the Shamrock or Blue Club, you also get an IB Club mug. Those only go to Shamrock, Blue, and Gold Club subscribers. Nobody else gets those. They're not available in the IB merch store. If you sign up for the Gold Club, you not only get the mug, but you also get an Irish Breakdown shirt. It'll look like this, but it'll have the green logo on it, and it says IB uh, Gold Club on it. And again, those only go to Gold Club members. I don't have one. Ryan doesn't have one. Vince won't have one. Those are just for Gold Club members. So if you want to sign up and support us, you can do that. Uh, any little bit helps. We appreciate y'all. And, of course, more importantly, we're building up that – continue to build up that community. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Everybody, have a great, great rest of your day. 6 o'clock tonight, speaking of events, Vince, Vince and Sean will have the midweek mailbag that they will have at 6 o'clock on the Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Ryan and I will be back tomorrow with more Notre Dame football talk. Thanks for being with us, everybody, today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>